This is Anthony Pascal coming to you from Las Vegas, Nevada. And this is Lori Elster, also coming to you from Las Vegas, Nevada. And this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. And it's a very exciting week for us because we met for the first time. And now we're actually in the same room recording with the lovely and talented John Spencer as our special Las Vegas guest. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you, guys. Seriously. <laughs> Long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> first time caller. Exactly. We're here in the uh, Trek movie party house. There's actually quite a few Trek movie people in the house. Filled with them. And Star Trek trivia games. And everybody's got shirts and props and all kinds of nonsense. It's awesome. So we are going to talk a little bit about the convention this week because we're here. We're going to review the very first episode of Season 2 of Lower Decks. And we're going to cover a little bit of news before we do that. So, Lori, this is your first time in Las Vegas. John and I are old hands. How many have you been to, John? This is actually only my third. It feels like more, but anyway. I don't know how many I've been to. Maybe 10, 10, 12. I don't know. But to me, this feels a little different. But I'm curious, you know, this is your first time here for this convention. Yeah. I think it's a lot. I'm having a blast. I just... Like, having done Comic-Con, which is just like a packed, crazy, mishmash mess, for me to walk around and realize that you can run into the same people again, meet people, talk to them, amazing Star Trek costumes, even if you're not someone who's like in line to see celebrities or doing that kind of thing, you're walking past them and walking around them all the time. You go to the big main stage for panels and there's room for everybody to come and sit. For me, it's just been great. The only drag is, of course, we've had a lot of cancellations and a lot of last minute cancellations. We're recording this two days into a five day convention. Is it really only two days? Yes. (laughs) So you you haven't seen, I'm curious if we're going to get the normal big weekend crowds because it's still just Thursday. It usually gets pretty crowded on the weekend. Um, But yeah, there's been a few cancellations. But, but there's a lot of fun things to do and, of course, just hanging out with friends. And We, we set our sec- expectations that the pandemic convention was just not going to be 100%. And it's, you know, it's somewhere between 50 and 100 and it's it's still fun. And it's feeling very safe because everybody is masked. There are like hand sanitizing stations everywhere. You're, there are no, there, you're never packed in with people where you can't get away from people. There's lots of space. Um, so that, that part's been positive and not scary. And this is the first time this, this convention is no longer officially called Star Trek Las Vegas, uh, because Creation Entertainment don't have the official license anymore. Now it's called the 55 year mission, but yet it still feels the same. There's just some cosmetic differences and actually improvements. There's this new stage setup. They've got this super expensive video wall. And I don't know if it's the fact that there's less guests, but they're 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 running on time, which is unusual for them as well. It's actually weirdly better than Star Trek Las Vegas in that way. Absolutely, it is. Um, so uh, we're having a good time. I think uh, on next week's show um, we'll have more coverage and more discussion of what the full thing was like, and also keep an eye on TrekMovie.com for reports from the convention. They're already starting to show up. Um, you know, new, you know, there may be news events, although we're not expecting anything official to announce, but little things can happen. Um, and in fact, let's start with one, uh, which is, you know, we were at a panel for, uh, Ken Mitchell, 
It was about Star Trek Discovery Klingons. So it was Mary Chifo, Ken Mitchell. It was going to have Shazad Latif, but he couldn't make it here. So it was the two of them. And I've seen Ken at a number, Ken at a number of these events. And you know, as you know, he's appeared in all three seasons of Discovery. In the season three, it was his first time after his diagnosis with ALS. Um, so he appeared in season three in a special chair, but still in a speaking role. And I think a lot of us were surprised because that was shot just a year ago. And now he's still in the chair, but he's lost the ability to speak. Yeah. And he's uh, assisted with a computer, but he still seems to be in high spirits. And yeah. funny and smart at the same, you know, yeah. like he's still, he's still fully there. But the, the news is that he announced that he's going to be in season four. He's already shot something. He's referred to it as something unique. Um, so, but we don't know what character. It may be Aurelio again. It may be a new character. Um, but you know, obviously, he can't speak, or likely. I mean, you know, maybe he could when they. We don't know when it was because you know, they've been shooting since last November. But um, the, you know, there's going to be. Ken Mitchell in season four of Star Trek Discovery is basically what we're saying. Right. Which I'm so happy about. Like, just seeing him on the stage was, I think it was emotional for pretty much everybody in the audience, but in such a positive way to see that he was there. He brought his son who got up on stage and, like, was snuggling with Mary Chifo sitting in the chair there. And uh, it's just, it was a very uplifting experience, even though it's sort of... I mean, to be honest, breaks your heart at the same time. It was heartbreaking. Yeah. It is surprising in a way how proficient with the technology he is, though. He, he is so fast at it and, and great to use it and highly communicative given his condition. We're expecting more Discovery panels. Uh, the bigger stars haven't appeared yet. So Mary um, and Anthony Rapp, I think, are the only two main David, series. David Ajala. And, and uh, there are some... Bridge crew did a panel, but they're so afraid to say anything that they right. said, we were on the show and we shot it and it was good. And we did more. Patrick Kwok-Chun did say that they, de he said, I might get in trouble for saying this, which I know they always say all the time, but you will definitely get more development of bridge crew. We get to do more this time, which we tend to hear every season, but we also do get more of them every season. Yeah. I suspect we will. Yeah. yeah, I think so too. I mean, there's some of them who had like three lines last season, you know? So, right. You know, it's easy to have more. I think though Emily <laughs> Coots is the only one where I'd be surprised if she had more. Yeah, yeah she had a fair amount last yeah. season. Anyway, uh, so we'll have more Las Vegas, but keep an eye on TrekMovie.com and also on Twitter. Um, on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, depending on when you listen to this podcast. There's another piece of Discovery Season 4 news that didn't come from the convention. came from an interview in Entertainment Weekly with David Cronenberg, legendary director, uh, the actor who kind of shocked us all in Season 3 because it's like, who's ah. the, why is David Cronenberg in Discovery? My first thought was always, okay, The Mandalorian had Werner Herzog, so, you know, Alex Kurtzman said, okay, give me David Cronenberg. But uh, I, I loved Kovic. I still don't know who he is. I almost don't want to know who he is. Yeah, I like him as a mystery. He's allowed to be revealed, that's for certain. Yeah. So um, what did he say, Laurie, about season four? He just said he's in a couple of episodes, 
I believe. I think the three? same amount as he yeah. was last season. So, so three last season and three this season. Yeah. Yeah. And he's already done. Yes. So we don't know if we're going to get, we don't know what we're going to get, but we're going to get more Kovic, and I hope it's cool, creepy, strange. Yeah. We, you know, for the last few episodes, we've been saying they're almost done, and they're still almost done. We know the showrunner, Michelle Paradise, flew up to Toronto to close out the season, but she said they've got a few weeks left. I mean, they're doing pickup shots at this point. Yeah, we talked to Mary and Noah today, who also, Mary had mentioned that they were still doing pickups. Also. Yeah, but Mary's done. Like, Mary's yeah. done. Anthony's done. So some people are the, still shooting pickups, but it's almost all done. The other bit of news this week it has nothing to do with the Star Trek universe shows. It has to do with a movie that almost certainly will never happen, but still has a lot of interest, which is... You know, for the last few years, up until a year ago, year and a half ago, people were talking about the notion of um, Quentin Tarantino doing a Star Trek movie, and which was a real project that wasn't like people heard that and thought it was a joke. But this is a serious thing. Yeah, he pitched this thing to JJ. JJ loved it. The, the you know the studio loved it. They never thought of this as their main thing. They always had another Star Trek project. But they're like, go ahead, JJ, just you know, run this thing on the side, and maybe it'll happen. And they brought in a screenwriter, uh, Mark L. Smith, who isn't the kind of guy to write a, a movie like this. Um, and he uh, did an interview. It's actually not a new interview; it's from April from a podcast that we found, where he talked about how this happened, and and you know. D- Basically, what it was is Quentin pitched to JJ. JJ then contacted this guy and right. put him together with, which again is what a good producer is supposed to do. Um, is he put two people together who didn't even know each other, and you know, Marco Smith was just super jazzed to work with Quentin Tarantino. And he talks about and in talking about what it was like to work with him, he starts revealing what this movie was going to be, um, and he, he, because we've heard that there's a connection to gangsters and he's like yeah they sat in quentin which sounds amazing to just sit in quentin's house in his personal theater and watch gangster movies and talk gangster dialogue um and the thing that surprised me is he talks about working with quentin on the script and talks about quentin writing scenes i i guess it felt before like quentin pitched it he had a story by credit maybe Mm -hmm. and then this guy went off and wrote a movie it sounds like Quentin was writing with him. Yeah. You know, possibly co-writer credit. Um, I almost feel like he was acting it out for him while he was writing it. Like I got the impression that the dial- the conversations they were having were very He did say very that there was lively that. Yeah. And yeah, like just... Maybe more involved than we knew before. You know, right. Because I feel like his involvement was a little bit mysterious, at least to me. Um, so if he's writing this much of it, because, you know... Later, it does make mention that he do- he doesn't necessarily want this to count against his 10, but he's also kind of towing the line, it seems like, with his involvement to that's, some extent. That's sort of the tricky, quirky part. That's different. So, that's on the directing side. Mm, right. Of course. Um, and the fact is, they if he's not going to direct, nobody would want to do this anyway. Like, mm. they... I mean, the studio wants Quentin Tarantino attached to a Star Trek movie because that's going to put people in theater seats. Absolutely. Now, there were minor... Not, I wouldn't call the plot details, but yeah, the, some details. Um, so besides the connection t- to um, piece of the action, 
he said it would involve time travel. It would involve Kirk and all the other ones, meaning, you know, Kirk and the gang. We don't know which Kirk it would be. Um, I, I'm thinking, you know, it, it probably, it's probably both of them. It's probably Shatner Kirk and Chris Pine Kirk. This thing, he kind of admitted it doesn't really fit with everything, which we kind of knew. And that's kind of fine to me. In fact, I, I, if this movie ever happened, I don't want it to fit. I don't want to try to think of it like, how does this work with, you know, Star Trek Beyond? It's like, don't try. Well, he's not, I can't see Quentin Tarantino even paying attention to any of that. Right. And I mean, I don't think he even understands it. No, he doesn't. Right. As a matter of fact, he, he said, didn't he before, that he doesn't understand the prime timeline versus the Kelvin timeline and he didn't even want right. to think about it? Yeah, he thought that. <laughs> I mean, which, of course, he thought the other movie, the J.J. Abrams' first movie, was just a prequel. Mm, you know? Sure. So here's the thing. Like, to me, this would be a terrible idea. And if we had time, we could spend a whole podcast <laughs> arguing about this because I think you guys would probably be excited, both of you, about this movie. I'm I'm highly excited and also highly apprehensive because I do hold so many Trek classic tenants dear and i feel like he would trample all over them honestly but at the same time it, seeing his take would be incredible so excited yeah i have to agree but and tony you'd be enthusiastic I'm, I'm a fan of quentin tarantino's i think he's very talented um i'm not against an r-rated star trek movie i think movies like i've often mentioned that the way i see this movie is something like joker in the dc universe sure. i think something like that could work I would never want this to be the Star Trek movie and the way forward for Paramount. That's always going to be something else. And we know that they are working on the 2023 right. movie. And so I wouldn't mind they do that movie. Maybe that starts a new trilogy, whatever. We don't know everything about that one. And then, you know, and then they just do some Quentin Tarantino movie. And it has nothing to do with that. And I'm fine with that. I mean, it's kind of like we've talked about with short tracks of don't, be afraid to experiment. And you look at what the MCU's doing, and they've tried all sorts of different things. In fact, they just released this week an animated thing called What If, which... Is getting raves. Yeah. I, I can't wait to watch it. It sounds And that's really good. full of, essentially, What If scenarios. So why not a Star Trek What If scenario? Well, so for me, I'll tell you, here's why not. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I like experimentation. I like different takes. My view of Quentin Tarantino is that I think he's brilliant, and talented, and he and I do not have the same taste. So his level of violence, I find unwatchable and abhorrent. And I don't think it's a crap movie when he makes it. I think he makes great movies that I simply cannot watch. And the things that make him gleeful, I'm sure when he's watching movies, do not make me gleeful. And the thing that's most important to me about Star Trek, I don't think he cares about. I think he likes cool characters. Like, he's like, mm. Kirk is a really cool dude. And yes, I agree Kirk is a really cool dude, but that's not what Star Trek is to me. So, I mean, I wouldn't, I'm, it's not about whether it's Star Trek or whether it isn't. And it just at some point comes down to taste. And I would rather not get Quentin Tarantino's take on Star Trek. You're right, Lori. Like, there would no doubt be extreme violence. Yes. And extreme gore. And I mean, it would make like the Red Con look like a G but, movie. And people being jerks in a way that is, I, I, rant, you know. And I'm, I'm not necessarily against the bad guy being a jerk, because it's interesting to see how our crew would respond to that, potentially. But there is a line there. Because if he would, I mean, there are lots of lines, I guess. Let's be honest. Well, lots of lines he could easily cross. 
as long as it maintains the optimism of Star Trek, mm-hmm. as long as there are perhaps complicated characters, but characters that believe in the right thing to do. Right. I mean, the, the Dominion War was violent, and they actually tried to... There were some episodes of DS9 that tried to get into that. Obviously, there were the issues of uh, Nog losing his leg and stuff like that. And there was that, you know, the, I think it can be done, but it's risky, I admit. And uh, I'd like to see it. And you know, in a way, and you know, uh, it, it's kind of like Lower Decks. When you first heard about it and you go, animated adult comedy from the Rick and Morty guy. Right. Um, I just don't see that working. And now we see it comes from a place of love, and it may not, you know, it may not f- sound like something to some people that can work, but it can if it's done right. Whereas, as we mentioned before, when the guy from the office came in and he did he did the trouble with Edward, there were all these talented people around working on it, and they just blew it because they they didn't have a grasp of what you're saying. Which is, you know, we need them to feel like they're, at least some of these people are part of the Star Trek that we love, the Starfleet that we love. So. And, but at least with that, I didn't feel like I couldn't watch it. Mm-hmm. And that's my thing with Quentin Tarantino is that it's, it is too much for me. Pulp Fiction I loved, I saw it once. My husband goes, I've watched it 45 times. I'm mm-hmm. like, I could never watch that movie again. And I thought it was well, great, but one time was, was, and I couldn't, and I had to, close my eyes for parts of it and i thought it was great so i think in the end that's it sort of comes down to your take on quentin Tarantino. and it, it, this thing is almost certainly not going to happen the, the writer right. said um 10 percent it's basically if quentin called up you know the head of paramount and said you know what i do want to do that star trek movie i'm giving myself an out she would say sure here's 60 million dollars give it to me in three years call me if you have any trouble and, um, but otherwise she's not calling him saying, Hey, Quentin, you want to make a Star Trek movie? No. And, and if he said, Oh, it's my movie, but someone else is going to direct it. I don't think they'd be interested. No, not unless they could splash his name all over it. Right. Pretend it's his movie. So let's, you know, so, uh, interesting, but let's, let's move on to our main topic, which is Lower Decks. And, uh, before we get into the episode, last week we mentioned that I did an interview with Mike McMahon. That's on the site now. There's some other interviews up on the site. This, it's not worth getting into all of them. But the one, the one element I did want to talk about is I, I asked Mike about how they're, they're now talking to each other more between the five shows because things are so complicated. And he really focused a lot on Prodigy because I think the issue is these two shows are literally set years, you know they're very much like a DS9 and a Voyager and a mm-hmm. TNG where they're just there are those were si- literally simultaneous but it's the same situation. So he talked about how the, there's been situations where they both want to use the same character. There's two sides of this. One is they need to know what not to do, but then there's now there's also these opportunities for them to introduce elements from each other's shows. Right. And create a shared universe. Because I think... Which would be really cool. I it would be really cool. You know? It, it, it was magic back in the day. You know, watching and just catching little things between DS9 and Voyage. Even, T, obviously, TNG and DS9, like Quark showing up or something like that. It's great. It's a great feeling. So if they can do that now... But you want it to feel organic. And 
I mean, the MCU's really got this right, where you're watching one movie and then there's a TV screen in the corner and it's playing a news feed of a, an right. event. And, right. You know, because the way they did it back in the Berman era is it'd be like, oh, this is the episode where Dr. Bashir shows up. Right, right. right. You know, and there's a way to just Heavy-handed. do it all the time very subtly as to doing it once in a while very blatantly. And that's what I'd like to see. And we did, we got little bits of this. I mean, we, we had the Quat Molot in Discovery from Picard. Right. Um, so I think they need to get better at this. I think one of the interesting things will be to see how much Strange New Worlds relies on stuff that was established in Discovery, like the Section 31 element, maybe, um, the Klingon stuff. Uh, you know, Amanda, which is, you know, obviously, you know, there's, but, you know, we could see some of that, you know, so the irony is it would be stuff in the rear view mirror of the today's discovery, but there would still be some of that feeling. Right. Perhaps. I have to say, I'll be honest, the thing that's more exciting to me than seeing it on screen in the shows is just this vision of being a fly on the wall in the showrunners meeting. And I honestly hope that they record that stuff just for future documentaries and posterity. Because what a conversation that would be. Absolutely. So, But I think we should dig into the episode. Yeah. Um, strange. Energies. It is full <laughs> of strange energies. So overall, let's do top level first, I think. So overall, yeah. first impressions, gut feeling. Oh, if I can jump in. I, I love it. I mean, I just watched it with you guys for the first time, <laughs> obviously. But, you know, like your recent interview, Tawny mentioned that, you know, they, they're very sure of themselves now, and that's immediately evident, which is amazing. Um, carries through very, very, very well, in my opinion. All right, Tony, what's your top level? Um, I thought it was solid. It reminded me of a middle pack Season one episode wasn't, which isn't a bad thing, except that it was able to take more risks, um, especially the way it started off. In fact, in my interview with Mike, he said we couldn't have done that, the whole thing where they just throw you right into the Cardassian prison. You don't know why you're there in the cold open. He said there's no way they could have done that in season one. That's, and that they're going to push that envelope more and more. They're trusting the audience. They're trusting their characters, their cast themselves. They're saying, you know, we're here, we do what we do, like it or not, we like it, we love Star Trek, you should trust us. So I thought it was good, not great. They, I think um, maybe they spent a little bit too much time doing what Mike calls paying the bills, um, which is dealing with the aftermath of the season finale. But no, it was funny, some great action, good episode. So wonderful to have new Star Trek again after 20-something weeks um, of the pandemic hiatus. And of us trying to come up with topics for the podcast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I liked it. I'm, really, I'm, I'm, I'm just happy to be back at it. And I, 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 it was good. I'm going to say I think it was great and better than good. And what I especially... I love that they, that they reminded us... These are the characters you've invested in and we are developing them even further and we remember who they are, which I loved. And I also thought like they, they it comes in right at this high pace and then you find out that it's a holodeck program and it's funny and then it slows down just a little. 
to remind you like these here are the people and here's where we are and to me it actually worked perfectly and i i enjoyed i watched it twice by myself ahead of time and then we all watched it together and i always say watching lower decks in a group is awesome whenever i watch it with my husband and son it's so much more entertaining but just getting everybody's gut reaction in the room was a lot of fun but to me the pacing i thought was perfect for first a, a season two first episode because i think in the first season they kind of went slamming with You're that right. very first episode it was boom 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 didn't let up and this to me was more like riding the waves better dynamic it also kind of broke up the structure a little bit of the show uh, they're forced into that because um boimler's not on the ship and so we don't get a standard Brad and Mariner story, Tendy and Rutherford story, which is kind of your traditional Lower Decks. And so we had a Jack Mariner story and a Tendy and Rutherford story. One thing I think they're getting better at, though, is weaving the crazy sci-fi with the humor and the character development. That they're not three different things happening. They're one thing you know, twisted together. Which is Star Trek at its best. I mean, it's so Star Trek to do that, to tie all those things together. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's good TV, really, from any show. And they're even doing that when... Because some of the funniest bits are... Uh, and, and by the way, you know, we're not going to cover the episode in a linear this-happened-that-happened plot thing. Because no. you watched it or you wouldn't be mm-hmm. listening. Right. So, as a, a giant ransom head is chewing on the Cerritos... <laughs> The Tandy and Rutherford story is escalating to the point where they're either unaware or oblivious or they just don't care or it's just another Tuesday. So <laughs> they're dealing with their stuff while out the window, Jackhead is... Trying to eat the ship, yeah. basically. I know, it's so... And they paid no attention to it whatsoever. Yeah, they didn't even mention it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they don't even know what happened. <laughs> So, yeah, no, I, again, I just really, to me, sort of hammered home. This is the show you love. It's still the show you love. And we're going to go to new places. And starting with Mariner dealing with all of her baggage from the last season is really cool, too. Because that's something we all complain about in old Trek. Like, they never deal with it. They just move on. And they, I think Lower Decks as a whole does that really well. You know? Like, they, they make a joke about her working out. You know, because she's doing literally squats, you know, right. on the bridge of that cool Miranda class ship. Like, but at the same time, she's met, she's, it's in, she's in therapy and she's working out. Well, so you know? my whole life, I always thought that that would be a really clever, smart thing to do. Would be to either combine workouts with therapy or I always thought massage with therapy. Mm-hmm. Like you get to a nod in someone's neck and you're like, your mother or whatever, <laughs> you know. But I always thought that that would be. Such a smart way to do it because you're sort of yeah. more open to the to the what's going on in your head when you're focused on what's going on in your body and something else. So that's like the future of workouts to me. Yeah, sounds awesome. It's perfect. And we find out everything we need to know, which is she's really upset about Boimler. She feels betrayed and that she's pretending she likes working with her mom. But she can't be honest with anyone. Or, it, it, or I mean, eventually she gets there, but that... It's so much easier for her to be honest with a holodeck program. Yes. And with a Cardassian torture played by Missy Pyle from Galaxy Quest. Because she's closed up, you know. Right. And it's, so it's not just dealing with her stuff from last season, although she was. It's mm-hmm. it's 
dealing with all of her stuff. Yes. From the beginning of her, as we discussed in last week's episode, we don't know if she's 25 or 1,000 years old. (laughs) Um, But she's definitely got a lot of baggage, and she still hasn't entirely figured it out. Yeah. Which makes a really interesting character. The person who figures it out, ironically, is... Is Mr. Oblivious Narcissist. (laughs) (laughs) And he figures Uh, it out because he becomes telepathic. He, because the first, like, he hears what she thinks about him, but then he's so frustrated because he's been feeling left out because Mariner and, Mm -hmm. and the captain now have this whole relationship where they forget he's even in the room. But then he starts saying to them, you're just pretending he can tell because he's telepathic that they're pretending they like working together and they don't. They don't want to be on the same side. They want to be on opposite it's, sides. It's a moment of honesty, though, too, because even, like telepathic or not, I mean, you think that or I think that he's putting those things together. He's seeing it. He's living it, you know. So yeah. he, it's a moment of realization as much as the telepathic element, in my opinion, you know. I think the telepathic part may aid that, yeah. but he's seeing it. I mean, he's he's literally, you know, b- before he's actually getting kicked in the nuts, he's liter- he's like figuratively getting kicked right. in the nuts in the by ne- them the whole in time. In the neutral zone. <laughs> right. The- yeah, that first scene where he's watching Mariner and the captain pretending to like each other. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, Illustrates that very well. I thought in that scene he was just feeling left out. Yeah. He was just feeling bad. It's possible. I mean, what's nice is this is a comedy, and yet there's these character nuances that are debatable, and that's good because that means they're not hitting you over the head, which, again, is one of the things I liked about this episode, is they took the reference style and they turned it down. I mean, we're going to do an Easter egg article for this, but they're not all... I mean, sometimes those were so easy to do because they're just all in your face Mm -hmm. and there are easter eggs here little things but they're it's just not and and the 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 best thing is they are again woven well so yeah there's a giant reference to uh chain of command which is how the whole thing starts but all for that good purpose they're not just doing a chain of command homage for giggles you know in fact, we were just having this discussion with Kayla downstairs um, because the, some of the promos came out this week and there's a moment where it's clear they're going to do a Star Trek V homage mm-hmm. with the rocket boots and the instant worry is, are they going to fall back into those moments where they're just like, hey, look, we're just going to recreate a moment from Star Trek V. Isn't that great? And the answer is, you know what? No, it's not. that's not good enough anymore. I guess is that we want you to we we go ahead and do those moments, but do them for a reason and make it ha- have something to do with the characters and the story, not just because it would be fun for you know Brad to run around on rocket boots. And ideally, it stands on its own two feet. And I think this first episode does very very well because yeah. there's nothing blatantly you know cringy i'll just say that there's nothing blatantly cringy like that potentially could be and again we don't know how they're going to execute it they might execute what we're talking about brilliantly in a way that we just don't know but it is a worry yeah Yeah. i think one thing that would be helpful would be to just because i enjoy this part so much is talk about some of our favorite moments for sure so i mean for me 
I mean, all the Gary Mitchell references I thought were so good. And having the doctor constantly wanting to put a boulder on him <laughs> and bringing a boulder. <laughs> yeah, right. And she's there with the boulder and yeah. she wants to do the boulder. I just love all that because that it was like this the answer to the question. Like, how did they solve this problem before? Kirk dropped a boulder on him. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. he tried everything else and it all failed except for the boulder. So I love that insistence. And my other favorite thing... The pears was Rutherford and Tendy and Rutherford eating all the pears like on his bunk. There's like all these cores of the pears that he'd been eating and he's eating a fresh one. And then at the end, I'm going to swear people when they did fuck pears and high fived. I even by myself, I guffawed. There's not a word I use a lot. (laughs) It made me laugh so hard. There's something about Rutherford in this episode. When I was watching it, I think the second time I realized Everyone in this episode is very miserable, except for Rutherford, the guy who can't remember last year. And I don't know if there's a message there. Yeah. Well, for sure there. I mean, if you don't have baggage, you're pretty carefree. I mean, that's sure. so. So let's talk about that because Mariner is loaded with baggage, mm-hmm. more so even than she was before. Because now she has Boimler, who she kind of opened up to, and he's gone. So she's got more baggage than anybody. Tendi, who didn't have baggage, has quite a bit because she obviously has feelings for Rutherford. Clearly. And doesn't feel that she is entitled to have them or express them or that they will be reciprocated. And he's completely baggage-free. He goes off in the wrong direction, and then he comes back to where he's going, and he's just happy. And he's going on a third date. And and Tendy reminds, like, remember your date didn't go well? And he doesn't remember that, so he doesn't care. And the thing that bothered him doesn't bother him anymore. So we all kind of want to be Rutherford. <laughs> and yeah. we're all really Mariner. But <laughs> but I love, even when, I just want to go swimming with girls. <laughs> and she's running around chasing him with a gun. It was just, it was so, like, to give her the violent piece of it, was also really funny because she's like the tenderest, sweetest person of all of them. Yeah, the misplaced passion. Yeah. You know, is is really cool. And then her only way of dealing actually with her own emotions is mm-hmm. to get giant weapons and keep trying to like cut his brain out. <laughs> I think my favorite moment is very brief, um, and that is the reveal that it's a holodeck program because uh Jennifer the Andorian came in uh, because she wants to use the holodeck for her yoga. And Mariner hates Jennifer. We don't know why. And I hope we never find out. (laughs) Um, And it was a fun moment. And but it was all that then Mariner says the thing about I know we're not supposed to have interpersonal conflict, but I can't stand that or I hate that um, Andorian. And that's where I see them taking more risk because what mike is literally saying there is the roddenberry box is kind of stupid which is what every writer thinks actually um and they all hated it in the the 80s and 90s ron moore and all those people um but now you know now he kind of feels confident say yeah i'm in the team i don't i can now kind of say it that yeah you know interpersonal conflict is the source of what we like to do as writers so yeah um you know, maybe that's a little too meta, but I think I what don't it, think so. I think what it shows is that this show's now willing to hold a mirror up to Star Trek and have a little fun with it without hating on it. 
One of my favorite things, and this wasn't an Easter egg, and it wasn't a plot point, was just Ransom barfing up rainbow colors. I just, (laughs) there's just, again, what this show does really well is that contrast. Like Tendi Mm -hmm. with the big giant weapon, Jack Ransom is throwing up, but it's like beautiful, glowy rainbow colors. Sometimes I forget to just watch the show. Because, like, the first time he's the... When the energy beams are hitting him and the, the he's spewing the rainbows out of his fingers. I'm <laughs> trying to think. around in the air, <laughs> Right. Like, sometimes I watch the show and I go, what's that from? You know? And um, I think it's important to get out of that habit. I always try to watch the show clean once before I do that. But, I remember, but it, it caught me the first time I was watching it because I, I felt like I've seen it before. Even though, yeah, it absolutely was very fun. I mean, they certainly were hanging, you know, a lantern on the fact that periodically characters in our universe get godlike powers. They actually mentioned Gary Mitchell, but he's not the only one. Certainly, the Starfleet has a term for it. Strange Energy is like a term of art for the Doctor. She's seen seen this before, uh, you know, so... You know, and and there's nothing wrong with that, you know, because as Rutherford says at the in the end, he's fine now, but he, they're in Starfleet, so who knows what crazy stuff's going to happen to them next week, which is also a little, you know, right bad. nod to the fact that it's an episodic Star Trek TV yeah. show. I thought when there was a character that I'm not sure how many times we saw him last season, um, but the character of Stevens <laughs> was a major character in this episode, and. I'm curious to see where things go with him, because last season he was just kind of a buddy of Jack. Here he's he's essentially become the Smithers to Jack's yes. Mr. Burns. Yep. Yeah. And I'm I'm curious to see whether this is gonna heartbreakingly so, as a matter of fact. When he, <laughs> and, and, and that actually might be one of my favorite moments. Just just to talk about that when he cries for that split second. <laughs> It is, seriously, it gets you right in the feels in an amazing way. Yeah. And I do love that moment. I'm like, wow, how can I feel that much for that guy in that amount of time? Well, you know? this, this was such a deeply psychological episode, even with Giant Ransom Head, like how the it's like when she praises him, that mm-hmm. starts to help because he's been feeling <laughs> <Right>. neglected. <laughs> or that even his choice for oh. when he's the super being is to make workout equipment because he gets his self-esteem from being really physically fit and working out. Right. So I thought they, they dove deep into the psychological stuff in right. this one. He doesn't, I mean, because let's say it, Gary Mitchell, like, hurt people. He was not cool when he got superpowers. Um, and, you know, where Jack, weirdly, well, he was biting the ship, but he wanted to help people, I guess. I mean, he wanted to help Mariner. And the mom, don't you think? I mean, it seems like to be coming from a good place. Although at one point he did want to become the captain. So perhaps. Yeah, I think he was more just annoyed by how petty they were. And it is extremely inappropriate that he would, that the captain would treat Mariner with that amount of power to the, that could usurp a first officer. I mean, that's crazy, well, obviously. Especially you if know, it's so. her kid. Exactly. I mean, it's like, I mean, imagine it's... if the teacher was your parent exactly. in school. Yeah. Right. It you is know? that dynamic. You're right. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and as I was as I happen to do every week, speaking to Jerry O'Connell, um, you know, he was saying that... Um, How is our pal Jer? Jerry? my friend. I call him Jer. Um, he was saying how he's so by the book, um, Jack is. And so every that's why everything about Mariner is just 
he can't stand because the, she hates the book. And, um, and it, to have the captain let her insubordination to support it just was driving him crazy. It right. was breaking him. So even if he didn't become a god, something bad would have happened, I For think. Sure. And yet the thing that saves him was Mariner kicking him in this neutral zone. <laughs> she literally thanked him for it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the boulder did the final job. Yeah. But... Thank God for the boulder. <laughs> no, and even the other psychological part, which is with Rutherford and Tandy, where Rutherford basically says, like, you did what I would do. You took a complex emotional problem and solved it with science, which is also mm-hmm. avoidance in a way. Because she didn't want to actually have the conversation she had to have, which was, yeah. I hope you'll still like me. But she went for some scientific cockamamie <laughs> explanation for yeah. what was going on. And that is the thing that united them at the end. Like the moment she said he realized that's what was going on, he literally lowered the force field. Like this is such a deeply, someone went to their therapist before. Mike McMahon must have seen his therapist right before he wrote this. And though they didn't completely resolve their issues, they did make major progress. And I'm not sure about the captain and Mariner and Jack, actually. They might be back at it next week to some extent. They all were so stubborn. You know, Mariner saying, fire the photon torpedoes. And the captain saying, no, I'm going to talk him down. And she wouldn't give, none of them would give in. None of them would give in until, you know, the neutral zone and the rock. So how much progress did they make versus Tendi and Rutherford? Right. Although Tendi at the end goes, also, don't date Barnes. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Tendi's trying to pretend she's not jealous, but it's clear she is. Of course she is. There's, yeah, there's something going on. She's hurting him. Basically because of his attraction to somebody else. She puts these electric... She gives him electric shocks that she has to turn up the pain level and surprise him. Because it's not because he likes pears. She keeps going, do you still like pears? It's not about pears. Yeah. So I think this season we'll we'll get more of that. For sure. Whereas you won't with... You could only handle so much romance if there was. Because the other question... We know that there's something between Jack and Mariner... In a Riker row, as we were just talking about um, the episode Conundrum earlier, because, you know, you put a bunch of Star Trek fans in a big house in Las Vegas, and when they finish playing Star Trek board games and watching Star Trek, they just talk about it. Um, but we were talking about that Riker row relationship because at the beginning of that episode, they're fighting and arguing and say, I don't understand. I don't understand how like they clearly don't understand each other, which is a kind of chemistry that when they forget who they are, they mistake what's happening between them for romantic tension. And I think that these two have a little bit, there's some of that going on where there's that same sort of push and pull and they're drawn together and don't like that they're drawn to each other. It's a great analog. Yeah. Now, we do get some Boimler. Yes. And some Riker. Because <laughs> that's where we left the end of last season. And, we, you know, we know that eventually, because we've seen it in, tra- you know, in trailers and stuff, that the gang gets back together again, the four ensigns. So that we've been talking about, and we know that Brad is going to be an ensign again. Mm-hmm. So the whole question, and then now I think we're seeing, uh, you know, when we do the smash cut and everyone thinks it's great over on that ship, and it, he's clearly, you know, even though he's doing his job, he's at his bridge station, he is doing whatever Riker's ordering him to do, but he's 
literally screaming through the entire yes, thing. But my my notes that I take when I watch it for my second time, I just wrote, he's just terrified and screaming. <laughs> well, he did manage to pull off that maneuver that Riker orders. Yeah. And in season one, he doesn't know anything. They, they make jokes about it. You know, the captain says, pull off some maneuver, and he's like, what's that? I mean, or, you know what I mean? He doesn't even know what it is. So he is showing growth at the end of the episode yeah. in that way. Which Although cool he has see. no idea, nor do we, what gluidic space is. <laughs> <laughs> the first time I saw I'm like, yeah. oh, fluidic space, but that doesn't... But no, it's gluidic space, <laughs> which turned it at the end, turned them all into glue or something. I yeah, mean, they I were all know, stretched right. and weird. Yeah. And yeah. Riker is loving it. Yes. He thinks it. he says like, he loves his job, even though they're battling the Packleds, who <laughs> now are essentially this show's Klingons. Mm-hmm. Did you just, there's a subtle thing. They refer to the Packled ships as battle harpies. <laughs> As opposed to battleships. Yeah, because there's a bunch of little ones that right. are following them. And is that yeah. what the harpy is? Those I guess. I'm not, yeah, that could be it. You know, I think, I, th- I thought that that's what it was. Because there's a bit, there's some big packlid ships that are now in the opening credits. You know, right. The, the title sequence, which has had some subtle changes. And then those amalgamations of all the ships that they're yeah. sort of. But they put the packlids in there to just kind of say, I think we're going to be seeing packlids. Throughout the season. Yeah, they've mm-hmm. talked about that in yeah. interviews, and we know that's funny. Yeah, which is fine. I love that it's kind of their thing. They took the dumb in a race, and they turned it into something. So, But I think we're seeing now how Brad's going to come back, which is things aren't going to work out maybe on the Titan, you know. Certainly nowhere, nothing at all like he expected. And hoped, <laughs> and dreamed, and fantasized. And they have, you know, even though they're using his bunk as a storage locker... They haven't, you know, no one's sleeping there. Right, right. they didn't reassign it. No, the, yeah. again, they've loaded it up with baggage, is what they've done. Wow. You know, I didn't even put that together. My mom That's was great. a therapist, everybody. Um, <laughs> the so literal representation. I did notice there was a point where she, like, opened a drawer at the very beginning, and there was all the stuff from her closet from the first episode of the first season, I guess. There were a few Contraband. of those things. But all the stuff they're putting, they're just loading up his bunk with their own physical and emotional baggage it's there, the baggage episode there were but there were a lot of little episode one poetries to 101 to 201 yeah. i like that the 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 box of stuff that the captain is keeping reminds me of the box of stuff that mariner was dragging through the ship at the beginning of the uh, first episode you know and uh, but we saw a few of those things and then there's a line that's repeated right because when rutherford says that he likes barnes and then she responds doesn't she respond the exact same way that she responded the first time exactly but he wouldn't know that because he doesn't remember the first time i mean we've talked about favorite moments but what do you think what's the funniest line do you think what's the what's your what's your joke landed do you think i mean i said it fuck pears (laughs) <laughs> mine was more subtle uh well not subtle but it was well just, mine was unsubtle that's true <laughs> which was the crewman who i don't think has a name uh turning to the captain the line the first line is captain there's a giant head approaching the ship and then later he says <laughs> he's growing hands Brace for grabbing. That's what it was. <laughs> Brace for grabbing. I just applauded that and we're like upstairs. I think that is my vote for funniest line. I mean, that's ridiculously awesome. 
All uh, right. Is there anything? I think we've covered the good points. I don't have any bad points. There were no low low points for me in this episode, no. or nothing. I had no. I would criticize or I thought didn't work. So, is there any last thing that we feel we need to mention about this episode? I mean, we're gonna do for we're not we're not digging into Easter eggs. There's gonna be a whole separate article about that on the site. We could obviously list them, but I don't think there's a reason to. Well, I mean, there is a curiosity here, which we've talked about a little bit before. Fred oh, yeah. Tatasgori's name is still in the credits, and Shax does not appear in this episode, but we have seen evidence of Shax, mm-hmm. not not speaking, but we can kind of see him in the background and in the trailers. And so, you know, spoiler alert, it just feels like he's some Shaxness is coming. Mm-hmm. Right, and right, right. he's not gone. It's certainly yeah. possible that Fred is doing other voices as many of them do. That's but I, I don't think he'd be in those opening credits. No, they'd otherwise. have him at the end as additional voices yeah. like they do with Tom Kenny. Yep. You know, or others, even though you know Tom Kenny's very famous, but they don't put him in the main credits. Right. You know, keep an eye out. We're on Shaq's watch, I guess is what <laughs> <Yeah>. we're saying. <laughs> you know? I mean, I was shocked that they killed Shaq at the Me end too. of season one. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, like, other shows, live action drama shows, you know, don't do that, you know, and yet the comedy did it in a way. I mean, we yeah. have seen some. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to say we've seen a chief of security go before, yeah. so and that happened pretty fast. Yeah, I mean, maybe, one. maybe, <laughs> maybe Mike is so in love with TNG that he's like, I have to kill my chief of security. Yeah, early. Wow. So we're we're keeping an eye out on that. It looks like we're going to be seeing more of the Admiral. I mean, this is a very subtle thing. The ad- Well, first of all, we learned that the Admiral is Admiral Freeman. Believe it or not, we had never heard that before. Um, but it does seem like they are a couple. Yeah. You know, because the, 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 at one point I thought there was maybe an estrangement, you know, because couples still have to talk about their children even after they're estranged. But he calls her Carol Bear. I mean, yeah. they're still a family, a very weird family because he's her superior officer. Right. So. And then she's her daughter, Superior. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is such a tangled web. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we're going to get more of that, the Freeman family this year. And I'm, I'm kind of looking, I'm kind of looking forward to that. So am I. So we are not doing our usual way of closing out the episode this week, which is where we each bring up something small and fun that we noticed. Because basically we're in Vegas and we're exhausted and there's a hundred cool things going on at mm-hmm. any given moment. Yes. So we have more treats coming your way and more adventures coming our way. Um, it's really, I got to say, it's a little surreal being here. Like every day I keep thinking, oh, I guess I'm probably going home tomorrow. And like, oh, no, four more days, five more days. So we are in a, we are immersed in a world of all Trek right now. And we can't wait to share more of it with you. But next week we'll be back in our, on our home bases. We'll have full coverage of the rest of Vegas and episode two, which is Kayshawn, his eyes open, where we know that... <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm so excited. <laughs> you can yeah. kind of guess what that episode's yeah. about. <laughs> I'm in. I am totally, fully in. So come back to us next Friday, because if it's Friday, it's all access Star Trek. And a special thank you to John Spencer for joining us this week. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you, John. <laughs>